Hey weirdos, this is Weird Animal Facts EXPLICIT A show dedicated to the weird, odd, unusual, gross, and oftentimes disturbing facts about animals. And before we get started, I do have one announcement to make, and that is that starting next week, episodes will now be released on Tuesdays instead of Mondays. So just remember, Tuesday! So you'll just have to wait one extra day next week. And the reason for that is because my weekends at work are changing because I get to learn all about the wonderful world of goats, sheep, pig, alpaca, and I get to come home smelling like a goat's ass. <laughs> and for you new weirdos out there who chose this episode to listen to for the very first time, my name is Deidre and I'm a zookeeper. And when not repeating myself to zoo guests that the snake I'm holding isn't venomous or no, that goat is not pregnant, I'm here telling you all about animal sex and genitalia. Today, we don't get too deep into the sex life of the raccoon or worm lizard, but just like that creepy guy at the club who won't leave you alone, we'll goose you just enough to make you uncomfortable. And speaking of hands, the raccoon has got some sexy ones, where the worm lizard doesn't. Well, I mean, one does, but most don't. And the worm lizard is more cute than sexy. It's kind of like the baby Yoda of the original Tremors monster. Only not quite as weird, but I'll let you be the judge. If you want a glimpse at today's animals before we get started, be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at WAF Podcast. If not, then buckle up as I take you on a ride into the world of weird animal facts. Let's get weird. Raccoon, aka Trash Panda. And like, really. And that's like not just the internet trying to be funny. There's actually a logical explanation that makes this kind of an accurate statement. But before we get too deep into that, I think it might be best to describe this amazing creature. Mainly for the benefit of our non-American friends, as the raccoon is native to North America. Where America is. In case you also need a geology lesson. I mean geography. Whew. We're learning all sorts of things today. But I guess I should point out that the raccoon has been introduced in many places around the world. For example, Jack Sparrow and Barbosa would have seen them as uh, the raccoon was introduced into the Caribbean in the mid-1600s. In Germany, along with Hitler's rise to power, came the rise of the raccoon! I think the raccoons are a much better introduction. And perhaps during Japan's 1959-60 protests, the raccoons were introduced to even the odds? I don't know. They've also been seen in Iran around the time the U.S. walked in. Perhaps it's America's fault for these raccoon sightings all over the world. Then again, who knows but the raccoons themselves. I will say that it was an American who introduced Rocket the Raccoon to the world. And for that, we should all be thankful. A raccoon looks like a homeless, scrappier version of a large house cat who would rather rob you of your snacks versus sitting down for a cup of tea to discuss world politics. Recognized for that iconic two-day-old party girl hungover smoky eye look that somehow transformed into the Lone Ranger mask, the raccoon is a survivor. I will survive! A very adaptable creature who could very well take over the world. But they're just too busy living their best life possible. As an opportunistic omnivore, a raccoon will try anything, if given the chance. You know, I might be a raccoon in this aspect, as I have tried quite a bit of the animal food before feeding it out to the animals that I care for at the zoo. Some of that food smells really good! 
there's this type of parrot food that looks and smells just like Trix cereal, but does not taste anything like it. In the wild, the raccoon diet is determined heavily by their environment and what's available. Kind of like when you're on a road trip and even though you really want a Frosty, all you keep seeing are signs from McDonald's, so you settle for a Big Mac hoping that their ice cream machine is actually functional. For example, raccoons who live in the forest will most likely be eating plants, nuts, berries, and insects. Those that live in urban environments are often attracted to stupid people. And by this, I just mean the people who don't put their lids on trash cans or that crazy nature lady who leaves food out for the flea-covered stray cats. That's something you shouldn't do. Fun fact! Raccoons that live near water have been seen washing their food before they eat it. But it's not for the reason that you think. Now we humans, we wash our veggies before we eat them, or at least you should, so to clean off the bacteria that might have hitched a ride. But for raccoons, they don't really care for cleanliness, as they'll shove a dirt-covered earthworm into their mouth without a second thought. It was thought for a while that the raccoons had massive dry mouth, and that's why they dug their food into the water, you know, like an Oreo. But that was a lie. The real reason they dip their food into H2O is to feel something. Take your hands and touch something. Oh, please, please don't touch your dick or your clitoris, okay? Although, maybe going with the sexual comparison will help me get my point across. All right, so... Think about having sex, oh, yeah. and sex that's not always smooth sailing. And for the normal sexually active human, we like to feel what's going on so that we can get off. T -t 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 Touch me! Many people say that they use lube so that it doesn't feel like you're having sex with a sandy crab. But according to health.com, if that's your way of thinking, then you're doing your sex life a great disservice, as lube can make sex more enjoyable. I'm so happy. Instead of getting a rug burn, you can rub one out for hours, and that lubrication intensifies sensations. And if you're going it alone, as so many of us are nowadays, thanks COVID, it's great for masturbation, as it will give you mind-blowing mind orgasms. orgasms. A quote from health.com. In the raccoon's case, their hands are naked, like ours and other primates, and the nerves in the raccoon's hands are similar to primates. Wetting the skin increases the nerve response. So just like emptying that tube of lube to feel your partner's penetration, the raccoon dips their food and hands into the water to feel the food better. As us non-human primates and raccoons have smart nerves in our hands that other mammals don't. Meaning touching something is gathering information the same way a dog sniffing another dog's ass gives them info. Basically, wetter is better. Before we look at the meaning behind the phrase trash panda, we are going to have to do an early version of scientific names are hard. As it has come to my attention that I will be saying their scientific name a few times in order to explain the meaning behind trash panda. And just so that you don't think that I'm milking this or purposely fucking up the way I'm reading Latin words just to amuse you or entertain you, I'd like to explain my brain. And my roommate and coworkers, they can actually attest to this. When I read, whether it's a book or a scientific journal, if there's a word that I don't recognize, I don't waste my time on sounding it out. See, since I've had so many concussions in my life between soccer and smacking my head on countless low bird perching at work, 
I don't have enough space in my brain to remember how to properly pronounce words that I'm never going to say out loud. So as my eyes glance, and I, I literally mean glance over that word, every time I come across that word again, or every time I come across that cluster of random letters in that paper or book, I actually make up some stupid sound in my head that represents the letters for the rest of my read. For example, if you remember the narwhal episode when I mentioned having to look up five fancy words in the abstract alone, see, now I couldn't tell you what those words were that I had to look up. All I remember is that one of the words started with a D, and in my brain, every time I saw that D word, it was Delumbacha, or whatever sound my brain made up when I came across the, you know, those letters in that order. And see, because of that, that's also why I don't put a lot of effort into it. Okay, so I hope that explained my brain a little bit. Either way, we're going to continue with scientific names are hard, and I will attempt to read the scientific name of the raccoon. And actually, the way this works, my roommate Emily writes down a sheet of paper the scientific name that I did not read until now. Now again, I did skim over this word a few times, but it was just like, is all how I read it. Like, I think it starts with a P. I'm pretty sure it starts with a P. All right, so let's read it. Procryon Lator. Procryon Lator. Procryon. That one's easy. Procryon Lator. That's because it's actually like, Englishly, phonetically spelt out, I believe. Alright, so now since we have that out of the way, it is time to go into the history behind the naming of the raccoon. And apparently the hands of the raccoon have actually always been noteworthy. Their scientific name that I just read, Patero, already closed it up, Procryonlator. See, I don't even take time to remember it. Their scientific name that we just said, is Neo-Latin, whatever that means, meaning before dog washer. Basically, the old white men who named it thought the raccoon looked like a dog, and it was thought to come from dogs, and was seen washing stuff. Now, the English word raccoon comes from the Pohantan word, meaning animal that scratches with its hands. So, hands were always there. Kingdom phylum class. Order. Family genus species. The raccoon's taxonomy was actually argued about for a long time before coming to where it is today. And because of that, let us take a step into the classroom to learn the history of the raccoon's taxonomy classification. Kingdom phylum class. Order. Family, genus, species. Good morning, children. Good morning, Missy. Today, we are going to be reading the story called How Rocket Raccoon Got His Name. Didn't some dude at Marvel just name him that? <laughs> Remember, we raise our hands while in the classroom. And since you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to act like you didn't speak at all. Like a good student. <clears throat> How Rocket Raccoon Got His Name By Bill and Keith Illustrated in 1976 Long ago, in the land of America, before the white men came and rained on the natives' parade, a small, cheeky little bitch that looked like a cat that had a one-night stand with a honey badger was born. Evolution doesn't work like that. You need to raise your hand, Donnie, as though you're giving the sun a great big high five. Otherwise, zip your noisy lips. <laughs> <clears throat> the people of pre-America named animals and plants however they fucked they wanted to, so there was no order to the names. At least, that's what the white men would tell us. 
And back then, those people called what we know as the raccoon a raccoonim. Those people have a name, Misty, and it was Pohatan. Donnie, I am not going to tell you again. Raise your fucking hand if you have something to say. <clears throat> then came Christopher Columbus to the Americas. You know the rhyme, children. Why don't you all say it with me? In, In 1492, 1492, Columbus, Columbus sailed, sailed the ocean blue. blue. He, he had, had three ships, ships and, and left from Spain. From Spain. He, he sailed, sailed to what we know as America and hell reigned. Hell reigned by day, hell reigned all night. Because Christopher Columbus fucked more than just his wife. He claimed to take credit for discovering a raccoon. Even though all the natives already knew. What a liar and a shit Columbus was. As Leek Erickson was the discoverer of the U.S. Very good, children. All right, let's get back to the story. Columbus was the first white man to have record of the raccoon, which means he got all the credit. He stole the name, a raccoon, but because it was too hard for all the white men to say, they nicknamed it raccoon. Centuries later, in the 1700s, a man named Carl got a little bit too carried away with organization and created the classification system. Kingdom phylum class order. Family genus species. I swear to God, Donnie, one more outburst and I'm calling your mother. But, but my hand was raised. I have to call on you, Donnie. But you never call on me. Mm-hmm. Take a hit, Donnie. No one likes a know-it-all. <clears throat> When adding the raccoon to his book, Carl put them in the bear family. But Carl was wrong. Showing that it's okay to make mistakes. Like forgetting to raise your hand. <laughs> Shh! Carl first called the raccoon the long-tailed bear. Then changed the name to washer bear. But not until his 10th edition. Then, in 1780, a man with four names, but we'll just call him Stroll, made a brand new genus called Procryandae. What's his name? Can't you read it, Misty? <laughs> of course I can read it. I am the teacher. Then do it. Raise your hand and then we can negotiate. As time went by, technology advanced, meaning people weren't such idiots anymore, and other animals were added to the genus to join the raccoon. Animals like the Kawadi, Kinkajou, Ringtail, Olingo, and Catamistal. Then came something called molecular analysis, where smart scientists use DNA to learn stuff. And what they learned is that the raccoon is more related to bears than the weasel, like what fossils would suggest. You mean like dinosaur fossils? Donnie, that's enough! You have disrupted class... Enough, all right? Now go to the office. But I want to hear the rest of the story. I don't care. Besides, that's, that's the end. All right, the principal can deal with your shit. I can't believe I transferred out of Miss Frizzle's class for this. Bears! They are, in fact, related to bears. Science proves it, which means you can continue calling the raccoon a trash panda. But considering how overrated pandas are, I think comparing the highly versatile adaptations of the raccoon to a stupid plant-eating carnivorous bear is an insult to the raccoon. But call it what you want. It's still an amazing, adaptable creature that literally 
has the adaptability to take over the world. They have never been on the endangered species list. And as the planet warms, their range will continue to spread because they do well in all sorts of weather. Hail, Progrine Lator! It's the transition song From going to one topic to the next It's the transition song So that we have no awkward silence Amphis Bina Or as I, as I will be referring to it as its common easier name Worm Lizard Is it a worm? Is it a lizard? Is it an alien? What's the difference? While a worm doesn't have a backbone, a lizard does, and an alien is the puppet co-star to Sigourney Weaver. A worm lizard is a reptile, but not a lizard. And this actually comes down to the order. Kingdom phylum class. Order. Family, genus, species. By the way, reptiles are in the class Reptilia. After class comes order. This is like Crocodilia. In the worm lizard case, as well as lizards and snakes, they are in the order Squamata, meaning scaled reptiles. The family is where the worm lizard breaks from the lizard and the snakes. Kingdom phylum class. Order. Family, genus, species. And that is what we'll be talking about today, the family of Amphibianaceae. I'm saying that horribly wrong. <laughs> so we're going to call it the family of the worm lizard, because we like common names. As the name suggests, it looks like a worm lizard. Although I think it looks as though it got lost on the way to filming the labyrinth. But boy, is it cute. All right, first, imagine a worm. But like a cute little pink worm. Or red, gray or brown, or orange or purple. Or I guess pick whatever color you want, because just like Skittles and Elton John, they come in all the colors of the rainbow. Seeing that there are actually over 100 species split up between 13 genera, Fun fact, genera is the plural word for genus. So there's something else we have to remember. Why don't they just put an ES at the end? Instead of like Lucas, it's Lucas's. Instead of genus, it's genuses. Or, or would it be an apostrophe S? Or just an apostrophe after the S? Although the plural of cactus is cacti, but the plural of octopus is octopuses. This is what is wrong with the English language. Consistency, people! It matters. Or, or does it? For the worm lizard, maybe not so much, as even though most are legless and have been confusing biologists for years, there are three species in Mexico, Baja, California, that have small, adorable arms. <laughs> and their whole body size is about the size of a very thick piece of spaghetti. But with cute little legs that have cute little claws, they even have button eyes and a sock puppet style mouth. What could be cuter? <laughs> oh, and they do have scales. And if you've ever seen the underside of a snake, you'll see that there are belly scales that run horizontally down the belly. While their back has the traditional smaller, almost circular scales, kind of like the pattern you find on soccer balls. But this Mexican, what may confuse you more, mole lizard, still a worm lizard despite its name, has those horizontal belly scales on its belly and separate ones that are on its back. But oddly enough, the sock puppet head has scales stacked more like small bricks than those circular soccer ball shapes you'll find with snakes' heads. 
cute, right? Aww. And even though I was able to find enough information for this podcast about these little dudes, there really isn't enough information about them. And I'm not just saying that because I think they're hella cute, but think about animals that we know the most about. Chances are they are terrestrial or land-ridden. That's because that's where our eyesight is. We can't really see into the depths of the ocean very well, nor can we see into the depths of dirt. That's right, worm lizards are dirt dwellers. They're very good at digging and live most of their lives underground. Except for when it rains. If it rains too heavily, it'll kind of push them up to the surface. Kind of like earthworms, which is probably why people think they're worms when really it's a worm lizard. Telling you, confusing. And get this, not all worm lizards have the cute digging claws of the Mexican mole lizard. So how in the world does a legless noodle even dig? Well, just like a blowjob, it's all in the head. With all the different species of worm lizards out there, there are guaranteed to be different shapes for different heads. And that's exactly the case. There are different shapes to different worm lizards' heads and snouts. Just like there's different beaks for different birds. But let's break down the different beaks. No, those are not beaks. Let's break down the different heads and snouts of the worm lizard. There is shovel head, spade head, keel head, and round head. FYI, the cute Mexican mole lizard has a round head. But their legs do all the work versus other worm lizards who use their head. And each shape of the head has a different digging style. Let's break it down now. The shovel head works like the trawl for laying bricks. They shove their snout into the ground, lifting the dirt into the top of the tunnel like the trowel does the cement mix between the bricks. The spade head is more like a jackhammer. This worm lizard has a flatter head than that of the shovel head, and they use the sharp sides of their head to shave off soil from around the tunnel so to make it larger. Keelhead worm lizards will be like that new kid on the construction site who doesn't really understand how tools work and just jabs their head into the ground, moving it around and around and around until a burrow is created. And finally, the round head. If they're not fortunate enough to have legs like the Mexican mole lizard, it kind of works like a battering ram. They just plow right through the dirt without a care in the world. Fun fact, the majority of worm lizards have round heads. Now it's time to get real weird. Sex! How does a worm lizard do the dirty deed, especially when they're nearly always underground in the dark? There's actually very little information about this. As you can imagine, it can be pretty difficult for a creepy scientist to try and spy on the sex life of an underground critter. And uh, I looked around a good bit in a good old Nancy Drew fashion, and I found a couple places that stated that one particular worm lizard that's found in Florida, USA, doesn't need a man, and creates copies to reproduce. However, though I wasn't able to find any scientific papers on the topic, let alone really any information about how these critters do it, I would like to imagine, as being in the same order as lizards and snakes, that the worm lizard reproduces similarly. There are some lizard species that are known for ditching the males, leaving the females to clone themselves. But for the most part, lizards and snakes do it with a hemipenis. That's two penises. Or two peni? I don't know. Actually, uh, they actually only use one at a time, but they have two. And it works like a rubber glove. Okay, so think about one finger of a glove, of that rubber glove. When your finger is in the glove, 
that's when the hemipenis is erect. As you pull your finger out of the finger hole, the rubber is pulled inside the glove, is now just folded floppy skin. And that's actually how the hemipenis is stored. So think about that the next time you remove rubber gloves. But to help you keep your mind off of that creepy, weird sexiness, let's go to our favorite segment of the show. Scientific names are hard. And for this one, I asked Emily to write down multiple species of the worm lizard. That way I have a better chance of actually summoning the devil this time. So let's begin with the Mexican mole lizard. Bibis biporus. Bibis biporus. Next, we have the Florida worm lizard. This is the one that's supposed to like clone itself and not need a man in this life. Rhinerus? No, no S. There's no S in this. Rhinera. Rhinera floridana. Rhinera floridana. Rhinera floridana. And finally, we have the Iberian worm lizard. Blanus cenarus. Blanus. Blanus cenarius. And those were the scientific name of three of the worm lizard, or the other word that I'm not going to try to say of their family. Hey! From weird names to weird hands, back to weird names to weird genitals, today's animals have some very special quirks to them that make them worthy of this podcast. And you too are also worthy by listening, subscribing, and rating, you actually help this weird show to be the weirdest that it can be. And for more weird in your life, follow us on Instagram at WAF Podcast so you can truly appreciate the weirdness of today's animals with your own eyes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a comment so that other weirdos can share in the glory of our weird. Without weird, there'd be no us. There'd be no animals. So let's all take a few moments to appreciate just how truly weird this world we call home really is. And as a reminder, I will see you guys next Tuesday. This is Deidre. Thank you again for sticking around. Stay weird!